Nyata, Alison here from a little church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary. If anything good came out of last year's extended lockdown, it was this. My husband no longer lived in Melbourne part-time. He was home every day of the week. I no longer had to operate as a single parent, ever. My daughters were always home, no shuttling to school or activities. No one came over and we didn't go out. Free from the scramble of sole parenting, free from the drop-offs and pick-ups and workdays curtailed, free from commuting to Melbourne for meetings myself, free from activities and dinners and going away on holiday, with housework shared and plans cancelled, I had time. Time to think about the movement of the sun. Time to rip out a long line of hedges and time to plant a vegetable garden. And as the first crops grew, time to pick off the caterpillars and to feed them to the chooks. Time to sit out there with a cuppa and to pray and to watch and wait. Time to notice which birds visited the garden and what time of day and what they ate. Time to weed, time to water, time to harvest. Time to cook dinners of vegetables grown and served with love. And afterwards, time to play cards with the kids, and then talk into the night. It was a glimpse of the good life, the shalom we say we long for, but it didn't happen in our normal economy. It happened in the wilderness, in the loneliness of shutdown. And it reminded me of another time in our lives, when our girls were young and I wasn't working and we all lived in the same city every day of the week. Then too we had time, then we had a vegetable garden, then we had dinners of greens cooked and served with love. But as much as I adore my daughters and enjoyed raising them, I was lonely and bored, I was intellectually parched, I was desperate for support and adult conversation. It too was a wilderness of sorts. And so I find myself wondering Why must God set the table in the wilderness? Why not in elegant restaurants or in a busier way of life? I think a couple of proverbs hold the answer. Better a pittance in the awareness of God than great treasure and trouble with it. Better a meal of greens where there's love than a fatted calf where there is strife. Now it's not that steak can't be served with love, nor kale with virtue signalling and hatred. Nor is it that poverty is intrinsically godly and that wealth is intrinsically not. Instead, steak and kale, or lamb and silver beet, and all that sits behind them, are symbols of two economic systems, two ways of life. The first is the way of wealth and striving. This way feels entitled to meet any night of the week perhaps with wine on an ordinary Tuesday. It's running kids to an endless roster of after-school activities and dinners gobbled separately and everybody rushed and it's shouting to hurry a slowpoke into the car. It's private school fees and overseas holidays and ski trips. It's the updated kitchen, the big extension, the newer vehicle, the shopping for fun. It's the big TVs and streaming services. It's smartphones for teenagers. It's the designer cat and the oodle. It's regularly going to restaurants or shows and being a bit disappointed. 
because things are never quite up to scratch. This way is normal. Who doesn't want a nice dinner, a nice house, a nice outfit and a big night out? But scratch the surface and we find ugliness. Behind the regular steak dinner lies poorly paid overseas workers who have flown in to pick the broccoli and butcher the meat and who live in substandard housing with no privacy, no safety, no medical care and no justice. Where meandering rivers once watered a landscape, the vast fields of agribusiness are straightening the lines, generating dust bowls and removing cover for predators. And we get monocultures and mouse plagues and toxic chemicals in the groundwater. Behind recreational shopping and discarded fast fashion lies a collapsed textile industry in Ghana. And putrid mountains of rotting clothes are poisoning the land and the water. Behind the big renovations and the holiday homes is a monetary system which rewards those who already own property, but which sends prices out of reach for everyone else, even as once arable land is turned into suburbs which grow nothing but paving and lawn. Inside the home, this way of stake and treasure also means strife. It means working long hours to pay for it all, and tired adults and harried kids. It means pouring a wine to anaesthetise stress and a quickly gobbled dinner and another drive to pick someone up and a collapse on the couch with the iPad. There's little time for prayer or play or to join a grassroots movement. And this way of life is exhausting. It makes for stress and frayed relationships and strife. Despite all its glittering promises, it just doesn't really feel like the good life, which is why, according to the wisdom writer, there is a better way. Better a pittance in the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better a meal of greens where there's love than a fatted calf where there's strife. But what do a pittance and greens look like? Well, we can probably imagine it. It's the way of local, unhurried, unfussed living. It's the way of love and justice and well-being and peace. It's old clothes and slowness and small shabby homes which are loved. It's saying no to some activities and catch-ups because we're making time for reading and music making and prayer. It's everyone having just enough work and also enough leisure. It's reclaiming Sabbath and choosing not to work or shop or access the internet at this time. It's turning our backs on the attention economy and it's having the spaciousness to listen and to chat. It's living in the awareness of God and others and following the Spirit's flow. It's eating silver beet more than anything else because it grows freely in the garden. It's eating less because you're attentive to both food and emotions. You're no longer eating your feelings. At dinner time, you put your phone away. There's no distractions and no dessert beyond a couple of homegrown figs. In place of ice cream, you savour the sweetness of conversation and the cheerful lunacy of a game of pig. A pittance in greens 
It encapsulates God's economy of shalom, where everyone is invited to the table, and all have just enough. But like the Israelites longing for the flesh pots of Egypt, we are shaped by an economic system which pushes us to want treasure and stake, and which makes trouble and strife seem unavoidable. We might long to work fewer hours or to not have to travel, but our expenses and our employer won't allow it. We might yearn for the simple life, but we worry that our teenagers will miss out. Our friends like weekends away and theatre and champagne. We want to hang out with them, so we strive to keep up. And so we get stake and treasure and all that come with them. And of course, the systems and powers and inheritances which make this possible are far greater than our individual choices. They are public choices, both current and historic, and they involve genocide and land grabs and international trade, fossil fuel subsidies, tax laws and zoning, and they're bound up in a national accounting system which doesn't value unpaid domestic labour or clean air or wilderness or biodiversity. Even before we choose lamb or lentils for dinner, we are enmeshed in policy and politics. And so we hear these proverbs and we feel tension. Tension between what is and what could be. Tension between how we live now and what else God imagines for us. We feel caught. We feel compromised. We feel justified in our stake and treasure. Because our work is important. And we also eat the silver bead and we put in double glazing and we give money to international aid. And yet the wisdom writer is blunt. Better a pittance in the awareness of God. Better a meal of grains with love. Some choices are better than others. For example, if we seek God's kingdom, if we truly believe that all are welcome at God's table and that all should have enough to eat, and we know enough about farming to admit, we won't be eating steak. There's not enough land or water to feed the world on meat. Better lentils with bread and justice than wagyu with wine and rivalry. What else can we think of? How about uh, better a community garden feeding the hungry than a pop-up cafe monetizing a public space? Better a comfortable threadbare shirt than a mountain of cast-offs in Ghana. Better a night at home with laughter than organised activities with driving and shouting. Better prayer and reflection and awareness of God than endless news and Netflix and anxiety. Better a bedtime story told simply with love than an iPad and no chat and no cuddle. Better relationships than work. Better veggie gardens and status symbols. Better simplicity. Better shalom. Better silver beat. When many of the disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept this? And many turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked his closest friends, the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Well, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? 
Yours are the words of full and flourishing life. Some choices are better than others. Indeed, some choices lead to fullness and to flourishing. And may the God who sets a table in the desert, who feeds multitudes from a child's generosity, who feeds you with his own flesh and blood, nourish and sustain you and continue to transform you into the very image of Christ, the bread of life. With Christ as your source and centre, go love and feed the world. In the name of Christ I pray. Amen. Did you know there's always more to read on our website? That's sanctuarybaptist.org. Sanctuary is founded entirely by members and supporters. If you'd like to support the work of this little church, you can make a donation via PayPal. And you can find the details for this on the website. This recording was made on the lands of the Eastern Ma Nation, where the wattle trees bloom in the winter time, and the land shimmers with reflections of the sky. Peace be with the land and its people. Peace be with you. Until next time.